You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to learn more about our ministry or feel led to donate, please visit hopejaffrey.org. I wanted to start with just a, a, a fairy tale. This, I, you'll understand why I'm, I'm kind of looking at this whole storyline approach. But I didn't want to take the time to tell some lengthy fairy tale, so I just Googled the shortest fairy tale. And I have time to share two. So I'd like to share the first one with you. <clears throat> Once upon a time, a guy asked a girl, will you marry me? The girl said, no. And the guy lived happily ever after. He rode motorcycles, went fishing and hunting, and played golf a lot. He had tons of money in the bank, and he left the toilet seat up without a care. The end. (laughs) Like I said, I have time for one more. Once upon a time, a girl asked a guy, will you marry me? The guy said no, and the girl lived happily ever after and went shopping, hung out with her girlfriends, always had a clean house, never had to cook, and never worried about the position of the toilet seat. The end. We are a people who who love stories throughout all of humanity, stories have been part of our identity. It's been how we've communicated the, 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 the interconnectedness of different people groups. It's how we've communicated um, the dangers that face us in the real world. Stories have always been a part of our lives. Some of us like to read stories. Some of us like to listen to stories. Some of us like to watch stories. But stories have always played an integral part of our reality. And from the very beginning, we see a story unfold. We see this story that unfolds in Scripture before us. It's God's story. And I want to summarize his story this way. God is the sovereign, transcendent, and personal God who has made the universe including us, his image bearers. Our misery lies in our rebellion, our alienation from God, which despite his forbearance, attracts his wrath. But God precisely, because love is of the very essence of his character, takes the initiative and prepared for the coming of his own son, by raising up a people who by covenantal stipulations, temple worship, systems of sacrifice and of priesthood, by kings and by prophets are taught something of what God is planning and what he expects. And in the fullness of time, his son comes and takes on human nature. He comes not in this first instance to judge, but to save. He dies the death of his people, rises from the grave, And in returning to his heavenly father, imparts the Holy Spirit as the down payment and guarantee of the ultimate gift he has secured for them. An eternity of bliss in the presence of God himself, in a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The only alternative is to be shut out from the presence of this God forever. 
in the torments of hell. What men and women must do before it is too late is repent and trust Christ. The alternative is to disobey the gospel. There is a story unfolding every day. And this story has been unfolding since before creation. This story, this summary of God's word that we have before us is just part of that story. And that story is ongoing. It didn't just stop and now here we are trying to catch up. His story, God's story, is still moving us forward. Paul even encourages the believers in Colossae in his letter to the church there. He says this in the, in the opening uh, uh, chapter. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it always does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The story that has been moving all of creation along has been the story of Jesus, the story of God. And so I, I, I want to ask a question. What story motivates you to keep moving each day? What is the storyline that you believe you are a part of right now? And no doubt, there's a variety of ways that maybe some of us would answer that in our current state. Or maybe let me put it another way. What is the purpose that drives you out of bed each day and informs your every action? What is that purpose you're living for? What is that purpose? What is that drive? that motivates me to do the things that I do, to think the things that I think. Here's the reality, that no matter what our circumstances have been, no matter how stable or unstable life has seemed to be, life circumstances will always change. Maybe you've experienced suffering that has caused you to desperately look for relief. Maybe the Lord has blessed you with prosperity, which has caused you to let your guard down. Or you've experienced sin in your life, which has caused you to hate yourself. Or maybe it's just simply experiencing having toddlers in your home that cause you to lock yourself in the bathroom for just a moment's peace. Life circumstances are constantly changing. Life circumstances are always moving us along. And here's the warning. Satan would love nothing more than to use the circumstances of your life to cause you to think too lowly of yourself so that you curse God or too highly of yourself that you abandon your need for God altogether. And here's what we learn, though, from the story of the Bible. This is the point that our story and our future, it has not changed. All of life experiences are still part of the story of Jesus, the redeemer of humanity. But the old man still whispers us back to a storyline that is filled with lies of self-sufficiency, self-reliance, 
identity without God, anxiety, worry, and fear. But as we talked about last week, if you know Christ, that is your faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ who came to earth, lived perfectly, died in our place, taking on the full wrath of God for our sin and rose again to prove that nothing would ever stand in the way of his love for us and that he will one day return to gather his people back to himself in a new earth and a new heaven where the rest of the story will be lived out with no more sin and Jesus on the throne. If you know Christ, you've already taken a huge step in growing in Christ. Without knowing Christ, you will never be able to grow in Christ. And so last week, as I mentioned, we discussed to know Christ. And this week, we're going to be taking a look at this next part of our pathways in which we have come together and desire, these are the ways in which we believe we can disciple and, and care well for one another to be more like Jesus. And to be more like Jesus as a community, a fellowship of believers. Uh, you would have received a, a booklet last week, and if you weren't here last week and didn't get the little booklet that summarizes all these things, please make sure to stop by the, the welcome table. We want to make sure uh, you have a copy of that uh, for you. And as we look at growing in Christ, there's a definition that, that we place with that. And it says this, that we are choosing, to, that choosing your, to place your faith in Jesus alone is just the beginning. In order to grow in Christ, we must surround ourselves with like-minded believers and spend time in the Bible, in prayer, and in worship. And we give some examples there, and this isn't exhaustive. But what it could look like for you to continue to grow in Christ. We mentioned small groups this morning, an opportunity for you to gather with like-minded uh, people who are desiring to follow after the Lord, to seek out a mentor who can come alongside you, to spend time in the Word personally and allowing it to shape and mold your heart and your mind. But as I do often, I like to allow questions to move us along as we think through these things. And the question that I want us to answer through our time together this morning is this. How do we grow in the knowledge and wisdom of God so that we are becoming the right kind of people in God's story? How do we grow in the knowledge and wisdom of God so that we are becoming the right kind of people in God's story? So that brings us to our, our main uh, passage this morning, Ephesians 4, 15, and I'm going to read all the way down to chapter 5, verse 2. But as I read this, if you have a relationship with Christ, you know Christ, I want you to see how in Paul's encouragement here, how it, how it flows from that foundation of knowing Christ, the results of knowing Christ from him. So I want you to see that unfold as I read through this. Where it says here, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow 
so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In these first portions of Ephesians, Paul had spent the time reminding the Christians they are, that they are grounded in the work of Christ, and that as members of God's family, we are to then live out our lives to represent him well on earth and for his glory. We worked through uh, uh, our last series over the, the Christmas season, looking at various words of, of grace if you didn't get the chance to, to listen to the one on sanctification, it's very similar to the things here, but it's kind of the foundation of what we're now uh, unpacking this morning. But I encourage you to go back and listen to that. We're not going to take the time to look at what sanctification means and that progressive work that God is doing through his spirit and his word in our lives. But what Paul is coming off of here is he's saying that, that, that it, everything we say Everything we do, everything we think is to be aligned with God's redemptive story. Which means then that it's ultimately not about us. It's not about what we can do with or without God. As Christians, we operate from a position in the redemptive rescuing work of God. We work from our position in Christ. 
This past fall, we had, uh, many of us uh, men had the opportunity to attend a fall retreat together. And the messages uh, that weekend were focused on the letter of Ephesians and just walking through the entire uh, letter. One particular author, Watchman Nee, who's a Chinese Christian pastor who died in prison for his faith, wrote, wrote a great book entitled Sit, Walk, Stand. And that he takes a deep dive, a deep look into what Paul is teaching here. One of my favorite quotes touches on this very uh, foundation that, that Paul is arguing for here. And I wanted to share Watchman Nee's observations uh, with you. These observations on the basis from which we operate. He says this, he says, the Christian's secret to walking is his rest in Christ. His power derives from his God-given position. All who sit can walk, for in the thought of God, the one follows the other spontaneously. We sit forever with Christ that we may walk continuously before men. Forsake for a moment our place of rest in him and immediately we are tripped and our testimony in the world is marred. But abide in Christ and our position there ensures the power to walk worthy of him here. Here's the point. Everything we do as Christians must come as a result of everything Christ has done and is doing in our lives. The object, the objective of our lives it is not found in our comparison of one another. Of am I like them? Am I as good as them? Or I'm not as good as them? It's not even about our comparison of us and the rest of the world. It's also not found in our giftedness, our finances, God's earthly blessings on us, our authority, or anything else. We are to pursue growth because we have found the source of life in Jesus Christ. His love for us before we loved him. It is his love for us that draws us to him. It is his love for us that draws us to love one another. It is his love for us that draws us to love the world around us, to have compassion, to have kindness. And so as we walk through these, these set of verses, I want to break it down. And the first thing that I, we must see from Paul's instructions here is that we need each other, which means we need to be unified. We see this in verses 15 through 16. And as I already mentioned, that, mean, that means we can't play the comparison game. Paul, Paul gives this picture of a, a body with various parts, and they're all knitted together. They all have different purposes. We would, we would say in here, we have different gifts, talents, and abilities. <clears throat> and all of those things are being used and directed by the head, which is Jesus Christ. So the unity isn't found in us all being the same thing. Unity is found in all of us using our gifts, talents, and abilities as we're being directed by Christ. The unity of that body is directed by Christ, his purposes for our lives individually, and his plan universally. Which means then that the love of Christ draws us to himself 
And it's our love for him that allows us to love one another rightly, which in turn draws us together in unity for his purposes. But secondly, we see from Paul that we are to live out our new identity in Christ, verses 17 through 24. We are to walk out each day with wisdom to represent God right where he has placed us. It's not left up for the professional. It's left up for every follower of Christ to represent God well right where he has placed you. So who are you becoming? What is it that you're doing in your life that is making you into the person that you are? Thomas Merton, who's a 20th century monk, while I don't agree with everything Merton has ever stood for, I find his statement here very helpful for us too as he comments on how to identify what we are becoming. And this is what he has to say. He says, if you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I am living for in detail. Ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. Between these two answers, you can determine the identity of any person. The better answer he has, the more of a person he is. So I ask the question for us to all think about. Who are you becoming? Who am I becoming? And what is between you and the person you and the one God is calling you to become? The reality is we are what we repeatedly do. And so the things that we do each day, do they draw us closer to the image image of God or further away? Growing in Christ is very practical. And it's just taking a look at what am I doing each day? Where are my thoughts at each moment? Are they drawing me closer to being an image bearer of God? Or am I participating in things regularly that, that, that mar that image? And towards the end, I'm going to mention a few things that, we can, that can help us become more like the image of God. But again, we, we do these things not to puff ourselves up, but as a response to, to yield ourselves more and more to God's story, to be true image bearers in which he created us to be. Third, Paul encourages his fellow Christians to treat everyone with kindness and compassion. See this through verses 25 through the end of the the chapter. It says our lives should be defined as ones who live for peace. That our interactions with one another and those outside of the church should be motivated by kindness and compassion. We obviously see this, or should see this, modeled in Christ, who humbled himself to take on our flesh, to live among us, and giving all of himself for us. And the result was the rescue of mankind from their sin. So what, what would it look like? What would it look like if we were motivated with the love of God 
in our interactions with one another and the world around us. Here's a reality we have to face, that in order to create change, it is best that we don't just yell about how bad the culture is getting. Model something different. Start being the change rather than only pointing out all its faults. We all see its faults. The hard part is doing something meaningful about it. When the world doesn't know where else to turn, followers of Christ should be modeling our dependence on the Lord. I couldn't have asked for a better example than what we've seen unfold even this week with the tragic injury of a football player on Monday night. Damar Hamlin took a hit whose heart stopped on the football field, an event that I don't know that any of us have ever seen happen before. Thankfully, he's doing much better than what he was a week ago. But what did we see unfold this past week and still seeing unfold right now? We saw football players who knelt and prayed. Sports analysts who didn't know what to do with this, and they're talking about prayer more than we've heard prayer talked about in a really long time in this nation, at least in a positive way. Fans who went to the hospital gathered together and prayed. Social media had messages of prayer. And even at least one sports analyst on ESPN bowed his head, closed his eyes, and led out in prayer on national television. Amen. But why? Why did so many respond this way? And here's why I believe it happened. It's because there is a God who cares, and he will receive the glory for all that is said and done, no matter the circumstances, because it is his story, not ours. So as we interact with the world around us, be kind, be compassionate, be the kind of people God has called us to be. Be an active part of the change that we must see in our society. And the last thing that I want us to see here from Paul is that he returns right back to where it all began. He summarizes it all for us. He goes, in summary, imitate your heavenly father. Think of how a son mimics his father. This time of year, it's really easy. You know, you go outside to clean up the snow or whatever. I've got a, a two-year-old that loves to use his little mini shovel and try to help me with cleaning off the driveway. A couple weeks ago when we had a bunch of snow, that was rather difficult for him, and he's trying to step into my steps. You look at how children respond. They're, they're constantly mimicking mom and dad and how they eat and what they like and what they do. People often share, oh, he looks a lot like your dad or your mom. We see in life how we're, we're, we mimic many people around us. So like a son who mimics his father, we are called to mimic our heavenly father. And I realize that in a setting like this, there's no doubt that not everyone here can say that they had a great father to follow. 
But of this I am, I'm sure, that with our heavenly Father who did not spare his own son to rescue us, well, that is a father I can follow and mimic. He deserves my attention and I will live my life to honor him. And my encouragement is that we too would imitate our heavenly father. I want to finish out our time looking at, at three practical ways then that we can grow in Christ. It's coming from that foundation of God's love for us and his love pouring out from us. It's, it, 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 it's coming from a desire to, to be more like our, our heavenly father. It, it's, it's motivated by wanting to have more of him and enjoy more of him and growing in our understanding of him and our love for him. So we don't do these things to check off a box. We do these things because we love our Savior. But I want us to see three ways. One is hear his voice. That is spend time in his word. He has given us his word. His word. To, to learn from about who he is, what he's all about. What he created and designed us to be like. How he created the world to operate, to function. Maybe it's just taking a few verses each day and just praying through them. To think on them throughout the day. To write it out. To put it somewhere where you're going to be reminded of. Put it in your pocket. Look at it throughout the day. Just be reminded of who God is. Or what he's created you for. Maybe it's walking through just a, a daily devotional book or app. We have such easy access to so many resources that can draw our hearts and minds towards God. Many of them don't cost anything. There's many things we can just listen to even that can just help draw our hearts to God. Taking a time and setting aside and just allowing music of worship to, to, to penetrate our, our hearts and our minds to worship our Savior. Maybe it's reading through a book of the Bible over a month or so with, with a good study Bible. Reading the notes to help us grow deeper and, and, and have more depth in our understanding of Scripture. Or, or maybe it's taking the next year or two and reading through the entirety of Scripture. Noticing the overall arch of Scripture as it reveals the central person of Jesus throughout Scripture. I want to emphasize this one in particular. I don't want to share all the statistics, but there's not a lot of Christians who actually have read the entire Bible. And no doubt, many of us have, are sitting there going, if I'm being honest, I've never read through all the Scripture. And this is what you're hanging your entire eternity on. Get to know the God of the Bible. It's His word to us. You can listen to it for free. Take the time to go through scripture. It will not only help us grow in understanding who our God is, but it helps prevent us erring in taking things out of context and meaning something that is entirely opposite of what God intends his word to mean. We need to be people as followers of Jesus who know his word, who are growing in our understanding of his word, who love his word and hearing from him. So spend time in his word, but also have his ear. Spend time in prayer. 
Prayer is the thing that allows us to submit submit ourselves before our Heavenly Father. And it says, Lord, take your word, allow it to shape and mold me to be more like your son, Jesus. Prayer allows us to enter a a moment of submission and say, Lord, you have to change me. Because my efforts will fail. The purpose of prayer is to enjoy God more. I love how John Piper writes where he says, it is not wrong to want God's gifts and to ask for them. In fact, most prayers in the Bible are for the gifts of God. But ultimately, every gift should be desired because it shows us and brings us more of him. When this world totally fails, the grounds for joy remain. God Therefore, surely every prayer for life and health and home and family and job and ministry in this world is secondary. And the great purpose of prayer is to ask that in and through all his gifts, God would be our joy. Or as C.S. Lewis puts it, if you like somebody a little older, actually a lot older, he's dead, um, Prayer in the sense of petition, asking for things, is a small part of it, a small part of prayer. Confession and repentance are its threshold. Adoration, its sanctuary. The presence and vision and enjoyment of God is is its bread and wine. The great purpose of prayer is to come humbly, expectantly, and because of Jesus, boldly into the conscience presence of God to relate to him, talk with him, and ultimately enjoy him as our greatest treasure. So start your day with prayer. Let his spirit through our submission and prayer shape and mold the beginning of our day. Spend your day speaking to your heavenly father. Bring it all to him. Seek for wisdom. Seek understanding. Praise him. Enjoy him throughout the day in prayer. End your day in worshipful prayer, thanking him for how he has sustained you, looking into the next day that only he knows and he will prepare you for. Take scripture, as I mentioned above. Take scripture, pray through it. Take a verse, unpack it, write it out in your own words, pray it back to your heavenly father. Allowing God through his spirit to shape and mold your heart and thoughts. Journal out the things that are on your heart and mind and and taking these items to the Lord in prayer and then recording the way God answers in his timing, but not only the answer in and of itself, but noting how he has shaped you to be more like his son in the process. Be a people of prayer. And then the third thing, belonging to his body. As Paul helps us understand here in this passage in Ephesians, we need connection. We need community. We need fellowship. As Jordan put it last week, to to be alone in this thing called following Christ, that's that's not a real thing. We, We need community. Some people's communities are smaller than others. I have a friend of mine right, right now who, who, him and his family, they're, they're the only ones that they know of right now in the location that they're in. 
and somehow we're able to stay connected through social media. They don't have many people to reach out to. But man, we, we have each other to encourage throughout the week, to pray for one another. Our connection, our fellowship is defined as a commonality, a, a, a partnership with one another. In the, in the book Habits of Grace, I love how it's put here in saying that, that the first Christians, what the first Christians shared wasn't anchored in a common love for, for pizza, their favorite sports team, a nice clean evening of fun with the fellow church people. Its essence was in their common Christ and their common life or death mission together in his summons to take the faith worldwide in the face of impending persecution. Our unity is connection that is found in our dependence upon and love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the thing that draws us all together, no matter our status or circumstances in life. We're to spend time with one another, cultivating deeper relationship that moves beyond the pleasantries of common conversation. We are to grow in grace with one another showing compassion and kindness. This also means that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to allow others to speak truth into our lives, even if in the moment we're not able to hear all that they are saying. We know through our time spent together that they truly care for us. So what does your daily routine look like? Each of these, time in his word, time in prayer, time in connection, fellowship with one another, should be part of our daily lives in, in some way. Remember that our, our daily practice is to recall to our minds that our effort is not what matters most, but to rest more and more in our dependency on Christ. To love others more, we must allow God's word and our prayers to shape and sustain our earthly relationships. And whatever your daily routine might be, please allow it to be flexible. Some days you may have just a few moments. Others you may be able to give an hour. Worry less about checking off the box and allow yourself to be in a position of drawing close to the Lord. And allow others to play a role in bringing a gospel reminder to your life. Again, in, in Habits of Grace, David Mathis remarks, he says, if time alone with Jesus just isn't happening on this crazy morning, be on special lookout for some morsel of gospel food from conversation with someone else who loves Jesus. And if it's a crazy day for both of you, Perhaps some quick conversation pointing each other to Christ and his goodness towards us would produce some food for you both that you otherwise wouldn't have had. To grow in Christ means that we don't set out to grow. To grow in Christ means that we don't set out to grow, but we set out to taste his goodness. The implications of that are immense for the Christian life. 
and for the habits of grace we cultivate in hearing God's voice in his word, having his ear in prayer, and belonging to his body in the local church, the repeated focus in our spiritual exercises must be on Jesus and not our effort. He is the greatest grace on these paths, not our improvement. So how badly do you and I want to become the person God wants you and I to be? One author puts it this way. How much are you willing to invest in yourself? People think they can look like giant oaks without putting down deep roots. And when they realize how much effort it takes to put down deep roots, they settle for being bramble bushes. To be who you really are takes work, but it is good and rewarding work. To be human, Augustine argues, is to be the consistent, enduring subject of one's deliberations and actions. Anyone can rebel. Anyone can acquiesce. But it takes real effort to be a person. People often complain that they are not who they should be, but they take no action to change. So my encouragement to, to each of us, including myself, as we close out, is let's be people, be a church that puts away the false stories of self-sufficiency, control, and anxiety, and instead walks, aligns ourselves, and grows into the story of Jesus. So have grace and mercy with yourself and with one another because it is God who has empowered you to live out the life he has for you in his story. God loves you right now and he wants what is best for you, which is a life lived imitating the life of Jesus. So this week, what will you do to grow in Christ together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for your kindness towards us, your compassion towards us, your love for us. Even as we look within our own hearts and our desire to be more like Jesus, help us not to compare ourselves to, to the, the person to the left and the right, but to just come to you knowing that it is your love for us that drew us to you. It is your love that motivates us. It's your love. It's your work that helps us to love well one another. So, Lord, we, we are totally dependent upon you. I, I pray that each of us are able to echo our desire to want to grow to be more like your son, Jesus. Lord, through your word, through your spirit, through prayer, through the the fellowship, the connection of your people, the church. Would you draw us together to be more like your son, Jesus? And for that, we give you praise. We give you glory and honor that is only deserved by you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.